We've been working through the book of Matthew, and uh, we've been working through chapter 23, which has taken us a bit of time to get through this chapter, because there's a lot in this chapter. Uh, we're going to hit verses 25 through 36 today, and we get to talk a little bit about uh, the walking dead of Jesus' day, that is, anyways, the zombie apocalypse. You can see all the, the tombs there. It's a picture on the uh, Mount of Olives of all the uh, Jewish tombs that are, that are uh, there. Uh, the scene here in Matthew chapter 23 is uh, the Passover festival. There's a, a model of the temple and Jerusalem. city would have been totally packed to overflowing, 180,000 plus people joining the people of Jerusalem for this huge festival. People camped all throughout the city, around the city, uh, a lot of stuff going on. Jesus has come in from the Mount of Olives uh, on Palm Sunday through the little eastern gate there and into the temple area. And ever since he has arrived, he's been having uh, trouble with the Pharisees. The Pharisees have been trying to uh, t- attack Jesus. They have been trying to uh, find a hole in his theolo- theology to discredit him. But Jesus, of course, being full of wisdom, has been able to answer all their questions. Uh, The Pharisees, as we've been talking about, because this whole chapter is about the Pharisees, are people who outwardly, uh, I mean, were living for God in terms of lots of rules. They were the people that they would say that they were living for God more than anyone else. Uh, If you talk to anyone in that day who was living for God the most, they would all point to the Pharisees. They were like the Olympians of spirituality of the day. But Jesus confronts them because Jesus knows that their hearts are not anywhere near God. That outward they look look like they're following God, but inwardly they are far from God. In fact, the scene is very vivid as Jesus stands before the Pharisees who John 1.13 says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And the word, of course, being God himself becomes flesh. The presence of God is standing before the Pharisees. And the Pharisees want to kill Jesus. This is what they're planning in their hearts. I mean, this is how deceived the Pharisees are. They think with all their might that they are following God, yet when God is standing in front of them, they want to kill him. And so Jesus, throughout this passage, has been confronting their hypocrisy, their pride, the fact that they are not helping people meet uh, God and the kingdom, but actually pushing people farther away. And it's important to remember Matthew chapter 23 because you will come across in our society the objection of, you know, I would never become a Christian because of all the horrible things done in the name of Christ, like the Crusades and the Inquisition where they tortured people to get, you know, find those who were heretical. I mean, and I knew a guy who said he was a Christian, he ripped me off, or I knew this Christian and he beat me up, or I knew this Christian, he was really mean. I would never become a Christian because look at all the horrible things done in the name of Christ, right? People will say that. And all you've got to do is remember Matthew chapter 23. Because Jesus is talking to a bunch of guys who, who are doing things in the name of God, yet Jesus is completely rebuking them for their pride and their hypocrisy. I mean, Jesus does not spend a lot of time, really, at all rebuking tax collectors and sinners. He's rebuking those who are claiming to follow God whose hearts are not in the right place. I mean, just because someone calls himself a Christian does not mean they're a Christian. 
any more than I could run around saying, I'm a banana, I'm a banana, and I'm not a banana, right? Just because you use the name of Christ or do something in the name of Christ doesn't mean you are for Christ. I mean, it's pretty clear. I mean, Jesus himself said, love your enemies, do good to them. And if you're off killing people and torturing people on a rack, then it's like, hey, you're not really following the leader. So, Matthew chapter 23, Jesus rebuking the religious leaders because they do not have the heart for God. And you'll see some people like that. And so today Jesus gets to talk uh, really about the main issue with the Pharisees. We've looked at their pride. We've looked at how they, they are roadblocks to the kingdom. We've looked about how they're, they're majoring in the minors, as we talked about last week, that they're spending all their time in all these little neat-neck rules and they're not actually out there loving people and caring for people. And this week, Jesus gets right at the heart of the matter. And so let's jump in. Jesus continues these seven woes. And he says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the dish, uh, the cup and dish. But inside, they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. And this is a good picture of what they were. They were blind because they thought they were for God, but they couldn't see how awfully wrong their hearts really were. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. And so Jesus uses the image of a clay dish. And here's a picture of a clay dish from the time of Jesus. And they didn't have like dishes like we did. They were all made out of of pottery. And uh, the idea was that Jesus is using a dish to illustrate what's going on with with the Pharisees. And for the Jews, they had all these laws about making sure their dishes were clean so they didn't become ceremonially unclean. In fact, they were so serious about this, the Jews wouldn't buy pottery made by a Gentile because the Gentile may have made it with unclean hands or they, they weren't clean. And so they always bought Jewish pottery, even though it was twice as expensive as Gentile pottery, but they would spend more so they didn't become ceremonially unclean. So they're very serious about these laws of cleanliness. And Jesus is, is talking about this and saying, look, you spend all this time cleaning the, the, your dishes, but you are like a dish that's clean on the outside, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. It'd be like taking this dish and every time you use it, you only wash the outside and you never clean the inside. And the inside is the most important part, right? You could eat your cereal out of a bowl that was dirty on the outside, but you want to make sure it's clean on the inside. Again, they're majoring in minors. They're focused on externals. They're not dealing with their hearts. I mean, it's kind of like the... I found actually a granola bar a few months ago, an old hiking pack that I had. And I pulled it out. I was like, oh, this thing looks brand new. And I was like, opened it up and it's just disgusting because it's probably a few years old, right? And that's the picture of a Pharisee. Beautiful on the outside, but inside full of greed and hypocrisy. And this can happen. I mean, some people end up living this way where all their energy and all their attention is just outward trying to impress people, trying to show others what an amazing Christian they are. Look how impressive I am. We're inside their heart. It's not motivated by God. It's not motivated by knowing Jesus. It's motivated by indulgence and pride and all kinds of uh, ugly things. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He also relates this to tombs. So another woe. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like 
uh, whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And so, uh, another picture of the Mount of Olives with all the tombs, those are all tombs, uh, thousands and thousands of, of them there. Uh, but what Jesus is talking about is, again, their, their, their cleanliness laws, that they could not go and touch a dead body or walk through a, 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 a grave burial site without becoming unclean. And it says this in Numbers, uh, whoever touches a human corpse will be unclean for seven days. They must purify themselves with water on the third day, and on the seventh day, then they will be clean. But if they do not purify themselves on the third and seventh days, they will not be clean. If they fail to purify themselves after touching a human corpse, they defile the Lord's tabernacle. They must be cut off from Israel. This is just one of those weird laws that was part of the Old Covenant, which we're not under anymore. But they would take this to say that even if you kind of walk through a, a, a burial site, you might become unclean. So what they would do is they would whitewash the tombs in case you were drunk or didn't know what you're doing so you could see them, right? That you didn't run into a tomb and become unclean. And by the way, since I've got all these pictures going here, <laughs> in, in Israel, if you ever go there, I suggest you go there, it's kind of fun. Uh, on the, the, the eastern wall, which you see there, which is not the original wall from the temple, it was destroyed in 70 AD, but later rebuilt in the 6th or 7th century. There is uh, the rebuilt east gate. And you see that the east gate is blocked up and there's a burial site put in front of it. And in the 1500s, under the Ottoman Empire, it's kind of interesting, the Muslims blocked up this gate and put a burial, a Muslim burial site right in front of the gate. And you know why? Because according to Jewish teaching, the Messiah, when he comes, is supposed to come and go through the eastern gate. So they block it up and they put a Muslim burial site right in front of the gate because they, they know that the Messiah, if he walked through a burial site, would become unclean. So the Muslims are trying, to, are trying to prevent the return of the Jewish Messiah by putting a burial site there. But, of course, Jesus did come through the eastern gate before the temple was destroyed, right? So very serious about going through uh, graveyards or touching tombs so they would, again, whitewash them to make sure that nobody ran into them. And so Jesus uses the picture of a tomb, a whitewashed tomb, to say, this is what you Pharisees are like. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones, uh, the bones of the dead and everything unclean. It's like, you can make a tomb look beautiful, but if you go in a tomb, just there's, there's deadness, there's dead bones, right? Uh, he may also be uh, talking about the ossuaries of Jesus' day. Here's the actual ossuary of the high priest Caiaphas who's mentioned in the Bible, and these ossuaries were bone boxes. So they'd put a body in a tomb, and once it decayed, they'd take all the bones and stick them in a bone box, and sometimes they'd have even more than one uh, uh, body in one of these boxes. But they were beautiful on the outside. I mean, they'd spend all this time making sure these ossuaries were beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, there's dead bones. And so Jesus is saying, you Pharisees, you are like a walking ossuary, beautiful on the outside, but inside there is deadness. 
I mean, this is what you would, this is like the walking dead, right? I mean, uh, these people were walking. They looked very much alive. They were impressing people and impressing themselves. But, but inside their hearts were not for God. They were not for the kingdom. Inside their hearts were dry and crusty and filled with pride. And so this is Jesus' challenge to the Pharisees is you've got to look inside. It goes back to the heart. And then he goes on and says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. And so uh, some of the prophets in the Old Testament were, were killed because they were standing up for the truth. And the Pharisees were saying, we would never do that. We would never kill a prophet of God. And, and yet here's Jesus, the most amazing prophet, king, and priest of all time. God in the flesh standing before them. And they want to kill him. I mean, that's pretty ironic. Again, it shows just how far their hearts have gone off. And then he gets real intense with these guys. He calls them, you snakes, you brood of vipers, which is a pile of vipers. There's a picture of some vipers. And uh, kind of interesting, because you know how a viper kills their prey? They'll sneak up and they'll get you, or whoever, a rabbit or whatever, and then the venom slowly goes into the animal, and the animal walks off thinking he's okay, and then slowly the animal dies, and then the snake follows the scent and then goes, eats him, right? And that's what these Pharisees were, slowly injecting venom into people. And as Jesus said, they were roadblocks to the kingdom, and, and this is what Pharisees do. They don't build up the church. They don't build up people. They slowly suck the life out of people because of all their little rules, right? And he says to them, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Meaning that they're not part of the kingdom. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Which means they are being condemned to hell. And Jesus is saying, how are you going to get out? How are you going to escape? Your heart is so deceived. Again, you think you're for God, but you're not for God. They're not getting their life from God. They're getting their life from their pride and feeling superior to others. But he says, therefore, and this is interesting. This just shows you the love of Jesus. He says, how will you escape from being condemned to hell. You're not on the road to the kingdom. Therefore, I am sending you, prophets and sages and teachers. I mean, here are the Pharisees who want to kill Jesus, who have caused more problems than anybody else towards Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I still want you to be saved. I still want you to come to know the kingdom. Therefore, I'm sending you, prophets and sages to to preach the gospel to let the kingdom know be known and uh that's mercy when you talk about loving your enemies jesus is doing this you can't get any more of an enemy than the pharisees and jesus is saying i have compassion on you please open your hearts i'm going to send you people to be the messengers but some of them you will kill and crucify and others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And you just open the book of Acts and you see Stephen, the first martyr, killed by the hands of the Pharisees. Uh, 
I mean, Paul is an example of this, who was a Pharisee, who wrote a lot of the New Testament. He was a very strict Pharisee. Uh, He hated the Christians at first. In Acts chapter 22, he talks about how he went from town to town, uh, putting Christians even to death. But then God got a hold of him. I mean, the mercy of God reaches into Paul's heart and all of a sudden he realizes how awful his heart had really been exposed to the mercy and grace and he becomes a a believer in Jesus and he begins preaching the gospel and planting churches. And so uh, this passage just shows just how far the mercy of Jesus will go, even to the most hardened people. And there may be people in your life that drive you nuts and they're like Pharisees to you and they're, they're awful. And you just, you, we got to take uh, this heart of Jesus. Therefore, I still care for you because I want you to be close to God just as Jesus did. And then last text, it says, And so upon you will come the righteous blood that has been shed on earth. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Barakai, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I tell you, all this will come on this generation. And so, again, he's going through the people who were killed in the Old Testament. The first one, Abel, book of Genesis. In the Hebrew Bible, the last one prophet killed was Zechariah. Um, it's because their Hebrew Bible's books are in a different order, order than ours in the Old Testament. Same books, but different order. order. This tomb right here, uh, according to Jewish legend, is actually the tomb of Zechariah, whom uh, was killed in Second Chronicles. And Jesus, again, is saying, look, all that murders of these prophets is going to come upon that generation of these Pharisees. Again, because what did all the prophets point to? Jesus. All the prophets were pointing to Jesus. Jesus came and fulfilled all this prophecy, and there's, he's standing in front of the Pharisees, And they want to kill him. And so, again, their hearts are awful. Their hearts are wrong. And this would come upon this generation because you go into Matthew chapter 24, which talks about the destruction of the temple and the end of the sacrificial system. So the point of this text is dealing with the heart. These guys spend a lot of energy impressing people. A lot of energy just trying to make themselves feel like we're better than other people, but their hearts were off. In Matthew 15, Jesus had said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. They look like they had passion for God, but their passion really was centered around all their rules. They were not getting their life from God, who is the giver of life, they were getting their life from their rules. Uh, where do you get your life from? For the Pharisees, it was all the rules I follow, look at how much better I am than everybody else. This is life. This is what makes me feel that I'm in right with God. I mean, that's where they were getting their life from. Where do you get your life from? Because every one of us will try to grab life from somewhere because we know we don't have it inside. You just try to live out of your own strength. You get weak, you get tired, you get frustrated. So we're always trying to add life to our lives. And, and for some people, maybe it is looking down on other people. As long as I feel better than that group over there, I'm doing good. I got life. Or for other people, it's their job. 
I got to work, 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 because if I'm not working, I don't know what to do. I, I have no identity, and so I get my life for my job. For others, it might be money. I just make more money. I'll have more life. I have less money. I have no life. Where do you get your life from? I mean, there's only one source of life that will not disappoint, and that is the life that comes from Jesus. And Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I mean, we look to a lot of things, work and job and identity and feeling superior and pride and, and all those things for life, but all of those things fall short. They will not give us life to the full. And we always need to be making sure that we are drinking from the fountain of Jesus. That when you feel that your life is draining out, that you are dry, you're crusty, you feel a little bit hopeless, you're wandering, it's it's a sign that you have been sucking life from the wrong places. And you just need to go back to the fountain of opening up His Word, of worship, of prayer, of surrendering, of opening your heart and communing with Jesus. I mean, He talked about being the vine and we're the branches. And if we separate ourselves from the vine, the life begins to drain out of us. I mean, are you feeling weary today? Tired, hopeless? You had a drink from the fountain of Jesus. May your life not be derived from other places like the Pharisees. And also Matthew 16, talking about the heart, he says, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. Again, the Pharisees were so concerned about being clean externally. I've got to clean my pots. I've got to tie it out of my spice rack. I've got to make sure I look spiritual. Make sure that I'm doing better than other people. But they were never dealing with the most important issue, and that is the heart. And we can so easily fall into the same trap where we get busy running from here to there, checking this and working that. And and I'm so busy that you never have time to pause and deal with going on in your heart. The issues that you struggle with, that I struggle with, are, are not necessary external issues. They're heart issues. When we hurt people with our words, Jesus says, comes from the heart. When our relationships are strained, when we're frustrated with life, it's, it's a heart issue. And we spend so much time trying to grab life from all these other areas and we never deal with the heart and deal with it in, in, in just openness before God. We must deal with the heart. I mean, it's kind of like an illustration of maybe my car. A few years ago, my Jetta was driving to church for a meeting and uh, and the engine all of a sudden just stopped. And I was a mechanic before as a pastor, so I know what happened. My, my engine blew. It, w- it was done, right? And uh, it needed to be rebuilt. It, I mean, this is the heart of the car, is the motor, is the engine. The car doesn't work without the motor. But I could have thought, you know, maybe, maybe there's other things we can do to get this car going again, right? And maybe what it needs is a clean, right? I could have t- took that car home and get, a, get the most beautiful bath, make sure the outside of that car looks beautiful and it would look, look like it's running. Everybody would come across, well, it's a nice car, right? Uh, but I would get in and try to start. It wouldn't do anything. It's not going anywhere. 
mean, externally cleaning is not going to help. Or I could say maybe what it needs is the right friends, right? So I could maybe take that car and get it towed to the Porsche dealership and let it sit there for a month, hoping that maybe the influence of the Porsches would wear off and, and I could hop in there and try to start the thing. Still not going to start. And I could try intimidation. I could yell at that stupid car. You car, you know, maybe scare it into working. It's not going to do anything. Or I could do, you know, the, the world's way, encouragement, right? Man, you're the most beautiful car. You do everything well. You run so wonderful, right? I could get, it's still not going to work. And, and we, we do that in our own life. We think, well, maybe what I just need is some new clothes. Or maybe what I need is just, I need to have a shower, and then everything's going to be perfect in life, you know? It's got to clean up the outside. Make, I just need to make sure that everybody thinks that I'm okay, you know, that that'll fix me. And you're still broken. There's things still not working right in your life. Or we say, maybe what I just need to get is the right friends. That yeah, can be helpful sometimes, have the right friends, the right influence, but, but it's a heart issue. Or you could yell at yourself, I'm the stupidest person ever, I don't do anything right. You know, you can just try to defeat yourself into changing, that's ah, not going to help. Or you can try to encourage yourself into changing, I'm so wonderful, I do everything right. And, you know, I got great relationships. It's a heart issue. Jesus says all these issues go back to the heart the first place we need to look is the heart. And the first thing we need to deal with is our heart. Everything else we do, for the most part, is in vain. And the good news of Jesus is, he's the heart master. This is not a work that we need to struggle and strain through. Jesus is able to reach into our, our heart and do the most amazing work. The prophecy in Ezekiel, talking about what Jesus would do for this, us says this i will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean i will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols i will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you i will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh i will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees now notice in this text that this is god's work he never says, you need to struggle and strain. You need to get around the right people. You need it's, I will do this. I will cleanse you. I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will change your heart. I will give you the right desires. This is God's work in us. All we need to do is open the door. I mean, Jesus, again, was doing everything he could to get into the hearts of even the Pharisees. He was not afraid of what was going on in the hearts of the Pharisees. I mean, you might be afraid of what's going on in your heart, that if you really expose your heart to God, that God would be disappointed or angry or frustrated, want to give you a big smack on your hiney because, you know, look at all the bad things you do. I mean, God has mercy and God is not afraid of what's going on in your heart. He knows every thought, every motive, every issue, every struggle, and God still says, I love you, and I want to do a heart work in you. Would you let me? And this is what we do. We daily surrender our hearts to Jesus to allow him to work because we know that everything comes out of the heart. The heart is a wellspring of life, the Bible says. And when is the last time you really sat in the presence of Jesus and dealt with heart issues? Really just expose some of the things you're struggling with. Really ask Jesus, would you touch this area of my life? Because if you're a Christian, 
you have a new heart. But even as Christians, sometimes there's little areas of our heart which we kind of block up and we don't want, Jesus, give me this piece of heart, but you know, over here, I got to keep to myself because, you know, I don't really trust you. I don't want to be accountable to you in this, this little area. And, and we need to continually work to a place where we can just surrender and give our lives, lives to him. And he wants to work in our hearts. He wants to change our hearts. Don't be afraid of opening up your heart to God. I mean, he loves you. And sometimes we're afraid that, God, if I let you into this area of my life, you're going to take it away, or you're going to change it, you're going to blow it up. I mean, God is love. Whatever he does in your life, though we might not understand sometimes, and sometimes, you know, it might be hard, it's loving. So let's open our hearts continually to Jesus. Let's look to him for life. And again, if you're feeling lifeless today, the answer is Jesus. If you need, feel you need some heart work, the answer is Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you offer to every single one of us a new heart and a new spirit with new power and new hope and new joy. God, I pray for anyone in this room who has not received a new heart from you, has never yet opened their life to you and and have asked you to to indwell and to change and to work in their lives. Oh God, I pray you would reveal your power and your goodness to those people, that they would expose their hearts to you and experience the grace and the power that you have for them. God, I pray for those of us here who are believers who are already following you. God, you know there's areas in all of our hearts that we try to hide from you, that we uh, try to lock up because we don't want to be accountable to you. God, I pray that you would remind us of your love, that your desire is not to condemn us, for there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Your desire is to work in those areas and, and instill grace and love and change. And God, I pray you would help us to drink from you. God, that we would derive our life from you. Not from money, not from the activities of the world, not from this and that, but from you because only you give life and life to the full. So God, we need your blessing. We need your touch. We need your power. And we love you and we thank you. And God, as we go from here this week, we pray that you would use us in this community to love and to reveal your son Jesus in the power of the kingdom to others. Uh, God, we pray that you would help us to look to you and to turn to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, thank you for the son today. Thank you that you uh, help us enjoy life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.